After uh, a week break, you could say, I guess, uh, we're going to continue heading through the book of Nehemiah. Give us a, a help remembering where we were before. Uh, we began multiple weeks ago in confession, just as Nehemiah did, as he confessed not only what he said was the sins of Israel, but also the sins of his house and his father's house. We saw how, how after Nehemiah prayed for months, that, that he he finally had an opportunity to use his high position as the cupbearer to the king, someone whom the king literally trusted his life with, that, that Nehemiah would make sure that he wouldn't get poisoned, that Nehemiah would make sure that the king stayed healthy. And so Nehemiah asked the king, a request for what was necessary, everything that was necessary to to go to his hometown and to restore his hometown to its its former glory, so to speak, that he could rebuild the walls and the gates and that the king would provide not only for that, but certificates and letters as he passed through uh, these other areas that he would allow him to have protection. He even received uh, the materials to build his own house. All of this he saw was, was the Lord's doing. And we recognized how this picture of Nehemiah stepping down from that high up position mirrored that of one who would come later, Christ, who would leave his high up throne to, to come down and secure safety for his people. And then two weeks ago, we focused on the opposition to the work how it seemed, not just seemed, how it was every neighboring nation that was against the work that the people of God were doing in the city of Jerusalem. Neighboring nations mocking them, saying that a fox could break down that wall. Neighboring nations mocking them, saying, you can't make those stones come to life. But the people of God in Nehemiah knew that they, they didn't need to bring the stones to life because it was the Lord's work that they were taking part in. The, the Lord was the primary actor, and it was them who was just being used by the Lord for his purposes. This whole time, as, as the people of, of Israel, the people in Jerusalem are on this journey, um, they're also not only on a journey to like build the walls, but they're on a, you could say, more spiritual journey as well. As they renew the walls, they're also renewing their hearts to be focused towards God. As they're rebuilding the gates, they're also rebuilding and reorienting their life to be what God had intended them to be, which is a light to the nations. And so we we head to chapter 5 this week, and perhaps what we realize when we get to chapter 5 is that the people in Jerusalem need not 
I guess, only pay attention to and fear those outside the walls. But they also need to pay attention to the people who are in the walls. In the walls of Israel, uh, Jerusalem themselves. Who are they living with and how are they treating one another? So we're going to head to Nehemiah 5 in those black Bibles that should be in front of you. It'll be page 386. Uh, Students, if you have your Bibles with you, it'll be page 569. All right, starting at verse 1. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our home to get grain for us during this famine. Still others were saying, We've had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are one in the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews and through our children as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have brought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people, only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued. What you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? And... I and my brothers and my men are also leading the people grain and money, lending the people grain and money, but let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the interest you're charging them. One percent of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, in this way, may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. At this, the whole assembly said, amen, and praise the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. That's where we're gonna, gonna stop for this week. 
you can see, perhaps, in hearing these words, how the people in Jerusalem perhaps needed to be just as afraid or concerned about the behavior that was happening inside the walls of Jerusalem when compared to outside the walls of Jerusalem. It begins with men and wives raising an outcry against their fellow brothers and sisters, raising an outcry against their fellow Jews. Now, this outcry, it's, it's not like the outcry of one child taking a toy from another child. That doesn't quite get there. If, if you think about this outcry, this outcry is more like the outcry that happened when when the people of Israel were crying to the Lord and when they were experiencing slavery in Egypt. God heard the people's cry as as they were slaves in a foreign land. And, And here, God too will hear this cry, not as they're slaves in a foreign land, but as we we read, they're slaves to their own people. The people of Israel, the people in Jerusalem, are acting like every other nation out there. They are supposed to be acting differently, but instead they're acting like the oppressive nations that they once left, that their ancestors once experienced. And now they're doing it to their own people. They cried to the Lord. They cried to the Lord about people taking advantage of them. They cried to the Lord about some famine that was happening during that time. They say, we have to get grain. We, we need enough food to eat to feed our, our sons and our daughters. Others we see were, were mortgaging fields and vineyards and homes mortgaging them so that they would have enough food to eat. People needing things will do a lot to to get the money for the items that they perhaps need. You could think too, why would there be a famine going on? Well, earlier we saw how everyone seemed to leave their work to go work on the walls. And so that would likely include the people that owned farms and vineyards and olive groves. They would, they would leave that grove and, and leave it there, and then all of them, we remember reading about fathers and daughters working together and sons working together, and so they would all come, all of those who would normally be working on the family farm, the olive groves and so on, and they go and they, they build the walls with rocks. And and there's an impact. There's an impact because the food that was once going to be coming out of that olive grove, the food that was once going to come out of that vineyard, the food that was once going to grow, the grain that was once going to grow up out of the ground, is likely not going to be as much. 
We think about how long this process took and how perhaps they didn't receive enough. They didn't receive enough, but they had some in store. They had, they had kept some from the previous year, but all of a sudden, all their resources are dried up. All their energy had been spent on the wall, and now they need to figure out what to do, and so they start mortgaging their fields and mortgaging their vineyards and olive groves and homes to, to be able to get the food that they need But then on top of that, I think we're all familiar with this, at least the older ones among us, right? The king's tax. Not only did they have to come up with money to get food or some way to get food, but then there was this king's tax that was on top of everything that they had to figure out how to get more things to to more money to be able to pay the king's tax that was on their fields and vineyards. We call that property tax today, don't we? So they, they mortgage their homes, they mortgage their groves, they mortgage their fields, they mortgage their vineyards, and then somehow they need to figure out how to pay for this king's tax, which is on the field that they already mortgaged and they have no money if so what do they end up doing? They end up, the way they end up paying the, the Persian Empire, and the Persian Empire really isn't just probably like our government, isn't willing to say, well, just get me next year, right? April 15 comes around every year and the accounts need to be settled uh, unless you get an extension. We're not gonna get into that. The accounts need to be settled. And if you owe money, you're supposed to give it to them then. You know, it's not like, all right, hey, uh, next year will be better. You know, I'll pay it next year. That doesn't happen. It doesn't happen with the Persian government either. They need to be ready to give it so they turn to selling themselves for money. Now, this is not a concept that is normal for us. How many of us have been employed, getting paid an hourly wage or salary or something like that? I know more of you have worked than, there you go. For us today, we wouldn't call that necessarily selling ourselves, right? But, but the concept is, is that we go and we choose to go work for someone else. We go and try to take whatever skills we have to go work for, maybe it's individuals, we're like a private contractor, or maybe it's we're hired by an organization and we work for the organization. And then, based on the skill that we have, and the finances and the profit and all these different things, there's a wage that's given to us. We sell our work, so to speak, so that we could gain money. It's rather familiar. We're, we're all probably quite comfortable with that. Western cultural thinks that way. It's normal. Well, in the Old Testament, that wasn't a common practice. You didn't go and sell yourself to, you know, your neighbor's vineyard to work 
for them, usually. That's, that's not the way it usually happened. Usually, you would work in your own, working on your own items. You, you wouldn't sell yourself for many years. I know we have people, my mom worked at the same company for over 40 years, right? And that's, that's well, maybe that's not as normal anymore, but uh, some people do that. And, and so you sell yourself for that long, but in the Old Testament, you wouldn't because they would see if you sold yourself for multiple years, you were breaking up your own family. Because you likely probably weren't going home at night or you would be sold to a, pl- a different place and you would break up your family for a period of time. And that was something that was very important to them. They would want to keep their families together. So they, they wouldn't engage in, in selling themselves for work. And here in, in Scripture, in, in, in this chapter, we heard about how them selling their daughters to go work, maybe selling their sons to go to work, selling themselves to go to work, further breaking up this family in, in order to just provide for their needs. And, and what was happening is the people within the walls of Jerusalem were taking advantage of one another. They were enslaving their own people They were not seeking the welfare of the city, so to speak, seeking the welfare of their brothers and sisters that they were living among, and instead looking for ways for themselves to gain a profit. Not sacrificing for the group, but gaining a profit for themselves. And Nehemiah looks and he says, our ancestors fled slavery. Our ancestors fled Egypt because they were enslaved to Pharaoh. Perhaps, too, even as the people of Jerusalem were in exile, perhaps, too, maybe some were were enslaved, and, and now they've been brought back to Jerusalem, liberated from the slavery to other nations to somehow now be enslaved to their own people. People looking to exact interest, people looking to take advantage of whatever situation presents itself. You know, I'm, I'm reminded of something that happened a little over two years ago where uh, certain individuals worked in a way to, to take advantage of a situation that was happening in order to, to gain profit. In 2020, do you remember this thing? Uh, It was the coronavirus, right? That was kind of a joke, but no no one's going to laugh at that, I guess. Um, And as it was beginning, there 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 was not much knowledge about it. There was, you know, maybe it, it, wash our hands real good, get hand sanitizer, you know, maybe it has to do with, with, saliva and things like that. Let's start wearing masks. And and then all of a sudden, you start seeing that you can't find masks anymore. And and hand sanitizer, it's all of a sudden gone. Well, in a certain area, the reason it was was one guy. One guy went around 
There's a New York Times article about this guy. He went around, uh, I think it was a a 1,300-mile road trip going to every Home Depot, every grocery store, every Dollar General, every whatever, picking up the PPE, right? The, The masks, picking up all the hand sanitizer he could, taking three days to just ransack all these stores, get everything that was there, everything that was available, and bring it home and put it in his garage. So he had a garage full of all these things that at that time, perhaps you and I were were looking to get some more hand sanitizer in our life or get some some more uh, masks. And then he went on, to sell these bottles of hand sanitizer that he bought for like $1.50 on Amazon for between $8 and $70 a bottle. This guy looking for an opportunity as you have something that someone needs. This is capitalism as its best, isn't it? Let's see how much someone will pay for this. Other people joined in. It wasn't just this guy, but the article reported that packs of masks, of 10 masks, were selling between $40 and $80 for 10 masks. These these individuals amassed profits in just a short amount of period of time, like weeks of $25,000, $35,000 to $40,000 just in a week. You know, it's interesting when big corporations like Amazon and eBay think what you're doing is wrong and we're going to put a stop to it. They, they saw what was going on within the organization of these private sellers, how these private sellers were, were profiting just ridiculously off things that people needed to, to stay healthy, to not spread viruses, and so they put a halt to it. They took off everything that this guy was trying to sell and wouldn't let them raise it past a certain price. In the same way, maybe that's a little bit like what Nehemiah, he saw people being taken advantage and said, no, enough of it. You cannot do that anymore. We're in this time of need, and and we need to work with one another. We're not working to exact profit out of our fellow fellow Israelites. Right, like these people were looking to exact profit out of their fellow Americans, so to speak. And so he, he calls in the nobles and the officials and the people that are supposed to be looking over the people of Jerusalem and caring for the people of Jerusalem and telling them that they're not doing their job. They're not caring for their people. They're exacting interest and causing these families to to break up in order to, to, to meet the needs that they have for food and the need that they have to pay their taxes. You know, perhaps Nehemiah remembered that the book of 
Leviticus talks about how we should care for one another, or how really Israel should care for one another. This was a book that was designed to kind of share how how the governance within Israel was going to look completely different from those outside nations, right? We had talked about how they look exactly like the outside nations. Now, it wasn't supposed to be that. If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and are unable to support themselves among you, help them as you would help a foreigner or stranger so that they can continue to live among you. Do not take interest or any profit from them, but fear your God so that they may continue to live among you. You must not lend them money at interest or sell them food at profit. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. And we see how they weren't doing that. They were selling their fellow believers into slavery. They were exacting interest on hurting people. They were not caring for their brothers and sisters in their time of need, and likely it was quite a few people that were in need at this time because they were all corporately together working for this goal of of rebuilding Jerusalem. They weren't supposed to look like other nations, and yet they do. Looking for a profit looking for personal gain. That's why I think, I think the people in Jerusalem need to be just as worried about the people inside the walls than the walls they were building up to protect them from other nations. times, like we mentioned earlier, the example of profiteering uh, over the pandemic. I, I pointed out someone else, you know, we like to, we tell my kids, don't point fingers, it's not polite, but like, right, we like to, you know, that person over there made 25 grand by selling masks for 80 bucks a pop. Perhaps we too in the church like to maybe think about us as, well, we're in these, this building. We're the church. And there's other people, you know, outside the church. And perhaps we, we find it really easy, and we kind of said this a couple weeks ago, to point out the things that are happening outside the walls of the church instead of recognizing what happens inside the walls of church. Perhaps, like Israel maybe, would point out the way other nations are treating people, but then ignore the way that they were treating people. The very thing that Nehemiah was making aware to them. Nehemiah recognized what's happening, confessed, and and desired to find a, a, a change in his town. 
He desired to see the, the nobles acting in a way that honors this passage from Leviticus, caring for the people within their own nation. I think when we, when we look outside the walls, oftentimes we, we think about division, because that's just a really easy thing to think about. We have division on, on so many different levels. You know, there's, there's division in the political realm, primarily between Republicans and Democrats and you could say independent people that don't like either one, maybe, I don't know. You could say that there's differences within something that happened recently, right? Uh, Roe versus Wade overturning. There's differences there. People that are very pleased that that has happened and, and others that think about the issues that that might cause in the future. Differences in, in the way we respond to each other, even in our own denomination as we went through synod, there was a human sexuality report and there was differences on one side and another in the way that we as a denomination should move forward. And we, we point out maybe all, all these things and, and see the division and, and perhaps you're a glutton for punishment and so you read comments on Facebook or you read multiple news organizations and you hear one side ripping on the other, another side ripping back. Craig Rochelle said this phrase that I, I still think is widely important. He said it uh, almost a year ago at a, a leaders conference. He said, what a divided world needs is a united church. What a divided world needs, what, what we need in the areas where we, we like to point out those differences and find an argument is, is a church that is united not for this thing, not for this political agenda, not for that thing, but united based on God's word to see his mission come into fruition here in the world. And it doesn't necessarily start when you leave these walls, so to speak. I don't think it actually starts there. It starts in here. It starts not by the work that is done that the Lord does through you, but it starts by your heart that is changed, that is molded more into who Christ is and what Christ was about. It begins as we together, as, as people here at Princeton Christian Reformed Church, Work to love and care for people in such a way that other people would be attracted to it. It starts here knowing that if someone is in, is in need and, and needs a hand, whether that's, hey, a, a ride to church, right, Stephanie? I saw you come in today. That's a simple thing, right? But meaningful. care that, that starts at the simplest level. You have a car, you can pay $5 for gas and go get someone to bring them here so they can be here, right? 
It starts with, with the deacons in, in their benevolent conversations, knowing if, if, if someone needs a hand with, with rent, if someone went through a difficult, unexpected situation, if someone, someone's car broke down and they need help, that, that this community would band together and care for one another. I've heard, heard stories, uh, sometimes people come to me and say, hey, pastor, I, I, I need some help. And I'm like, I'd love to, but that's actually the deacon's job. And they're like, well, you know, if they can give me a help, I'll make sure that I can pay it back. And then I get to the pleasure of saying, well, we're not in that business of, of loaning money. We're not in, in the business of loaning money because we, we like to follow this. If a brother and sister is in need, we're, we're not going to charge them for, for, for bettering their life, to continue their life, to provide for the need that they have for food or shelter or clothing or anything. We're going to make a way for that to happen. What what does it look like? What does a divided world need? Well, it needs a united church that is based on God's mission of caring for people, of living in a way that would be completely confusing to someone else. Living in a way that honors God and his word and honors people and their dignity. I think of another way that that we as a church try to live united, not only among ourselves, but with with other believers. You know, we could, it would be legal, right? Anyone who uses our facility, we we could charge them money. And then, I don't know, 10 years ago, I don't remember when the Chin Church started here, but when, when they came, the, the elders at the time, the administrative team at the time before I was here said, well, this is a good opportunity to, to welcome other believers in Christ into the space in the afternoon when, well, it's just sitting empty anyway. And, and as they would be able to, to gather together and to preach the word of God, that it would, would fill the hearts of people and that they would be changed to, to follow Christ. That seems like an admiral mission that's, that we're united with, that we're the same with. So, so let's, let's not charge them a bunch of money. Let's let them use the facility, uniting with God on his mission, using the Chin Church here in this building. Or or the ways that we, on Tuesday evenings, we we could have chosen to to charge a, a rental rate for the Young Lives group that comes in every other week during the school year, but to, to recognize that as an opportunity to continue to partner with God in, in the mission that he's on to, to care for teen moms was one that we said we couldn't pass up. What a divided world needs is a united church, not united for an agenda, but united in purpose 
that we would see God honored, that we would see Christ as our Savior, and that we would find opportunities to care for those in our need. Not exacting interest or exacting rental rates. Not looking for these as opportunities to make money, but as opportunities to further God's kingdom. Opportunities where where we could take on the mind of Christ just a little bit more. That we could could choose to, to live like him, not living for our own interest, but living for the interest of others. By providing ways for him to be glorified, not only in this space during worship, but for, for God to be glorified when we gather on administrative committees Monday night and we look at the books or so to speak and we say, look at all this ministry that's going on here. Look at all these little things that we perhaps wouldn't even have imagined 20 years ago. Look at the ways that this facility is used to care for people in a way that we didn't think about. It starts here. If we, we desire to, to live a life that's united in one purpose, it starts in our heart as we, we take off our, our own desires. We, we put them to the background. As we, we take off what is a perhaps selfish idea of, of what we want to see and where we think we need to go, by having the Spirit work within us to, to raise our awareness, to, to raise our, uh, open our eyes, so to speak, that we can, we can truly see how we live for others. How we can truly see how we can can love our neighbors, our brothers and sisters in Christ, as well as those who aren't a part of our community. And, And then live in a way like what Nehemiah was asking these officials to do, to give up of themselves for the benefit of others. And we saw Christ do that. Christ He gave up of himself. We talked about how he left a high throne and came to earth, but he also willingly gave up his life that we may have life. And asked us to do the same. What are the ways that we can can give up our interests, give up part of our life that others may experience this grace, this love, this care? And I guess an ultimate hope would be Salvation. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you desiring for you to work in our hearts and minds by your power of your spirit that each day, each hour, we would be more and more transformed into Christ someone who would be willing to give up of themselves for the benefit of others, for the salvation of others. Work that in our hearts, we pray.
Amen.